Greetings, amigos. Welcome back to Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me today, as he is every week, is your co-host, Mike. This week, Mike has a topic prepared. I do not know what the topic is. Mike will share his top 10 of said list, at which point we will rigorously debate until we have agreed upon a definitive top 10. What do we got this week, Mike? All right, big dog. This week, we're going to be talking about the top 10 fictional dogs. Oh, my God. I'm, <laughs> I was... This is oh, this is the first time this has happened, and I'm surprised. This is a list I was already working on, so this is going to be great. wow. Well, perfect. I, well, not quite. I was working on a list of top ten talking dogs, so my list was going to be a lot shorter than yours. But I'll have some good ammunition by which to contribute. So this is fantastic. Excellent. I, you know, it's funny you said it because I had a feeling this might happen uh, <laughs> at some point, and I'm glad that this was the topic because this is. This was like a, a surprisingly fruitful topic. I I thought like I had been talking to Caroline about a dog and I, I kind of caved in admitting that I would get a dog someday, which is something I've been holding the line on for. I usually <laughs> like to just look at dogs. Sure. And so I was like, you know, what kind of dogs do I like in the fictional realm? And there are a lot of them. Like yes. a lot, a lot. Many thousands. Many thousands. Not a lot of mine talk, actually. Like a surprisingly a small number of mine talk, but I don't I actually don't think this is a topic that really needs much explanation. These are dogs that are awesome for a variety of reasons. Yeah, um I'll have a I'll have a couple of questions about the legality of some of my choices. But Yes, there are I let me just I go I'll get out front of that question because I have a feeling we're on the same page here. Um we require 50% domesticated canine heritage to count as a dog. So there are certain borderline dogs that would maybe more of like a can- like a wolf situation. Ah, I see. Uh, did you have a related question or something else? So like, are you concerned about werewolves? No, no, no. Well, you'll see what I mean. But let's also okay. say, for example, because I'm very concerned about this. Let's say, for example, you had a dog... Or for some strange, sick reason, instead of hind legs and quarters attached to this dog was a cat. And you might call such an animal a cat dog. Would that would not be a dog, I don't think. Although I guess dog. Like, you would have to consider the halves separately. Dog could be considered, I think. Yeah. Well, we don't have to get into it. No, that's interesting. I don't know. I, that would have to lose a lot of points for uh, the digestive issues that I think would come up. I was always very concerned about that. Like, I, I, poor cat dog. There's like one episode where they allude to one of them having bad breath because of what the other one's eating. But frankly, they would always have bad breath because their, their mouth is a butt. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, thankfully they kind of skirt right past that whole thing. <laughs> but I just, that seems like a silly thing to skirt past. Like that, that show didn't really shy away from much. You have to address the fact that both of their mouths are butts. That's just something that has to be discussed, I think. You would think, because kids do love poop humor, but... I certainly do. I'm giggling just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, so maybe dog is an honorable mention. Let's let's get into the li- the actual list All right. Here. All right. Let's get into the real list. All right. So clocking in at number 10 is a classic. One of the oldies and the goodies. Uh, Old Yeller. Yeah. So Old Yeller was a fighter, uh, a rootin' tootin' fighter. Alas, he succumbed to rabies. So I, I was doing a little googling on the old the old Yeller, and I couldn't remember what his issue was, but it was it was rabies. He was defending the family farm from a rabid wolf. It was a tough go. That's a. It's uh, obviously you know dogs are a soft spot for a lot of people. Yes. But even before I owned, even before we as a family had our own dog, and I grew a special attachment to them, I, I this is one of the first times I can remember like really bawling in a movie. It's so, yeah. so sad. Yeah, well, it's just a it's a tough setup. As I was uh, thinking about Old Yeller, I, I realized it's basically the same setup as of Mice and Men, which is very upsetting. There's a book I read recently that I really liked, uh, where it literally opens with this young boy who lives in uh, Texas, who his dog somehow gets injured and his dad makes him kill the dog. And it's oh. just, I think I think what's happened is Old Yeller has really crystallized in sort of the 
pop brain. That's a symbol of having to do something really hard as a way of growing up is to kill old Yeller. It sucks, but it's very iconic. Have you heard people say that? Oh yeah, oh, the old Yeller image is very real. It's like a it's like a coming of age type thing. Yeah. Fortunately, I'm- I don't hear people like throw out, "Oh man, you know I uh we lost that basketball game. It was a real old Yeller moment." Like, but it's but it's <laughs> it's definitely an image people have in their mind. I'm I'm I don't think I've reached manhood yet. Yeah. But if do, performing an act such as this is required to attain my manhood, I think I'm pretty yeah. content to to just stay as is, I would say. Well, I'll say I'll say that uh if friend Steph is listening to this, she was there when I was uh I was going through a tough time after I'd met Hoppy, that bird who flew into the window who I tried to save. Oh no. I am most certainly not a man because my dad told me to just kill the bird. And in retrospect, it probably would have been the kinder thing. Instead, I tried to nurse that bird back to health. I held it and I held that bird as it died. So like, maybe that was my passage into manhood. I don't know. I didn't kill it, but I really probably should have. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I still have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> You've got this, like, forlorn, like, looking into the distance kind of look on your face right now. Kyle, it was very real. I think it was really... The problem was it was very symbolic of, like, the death of my childhood. Because this was in the summer after I had finished college and was about to start work. And there's just a lot going through the old noodle. And, uh... I'm sorry, in this, in this, in this, in this story in my head as it's playing out, you're, like, maybe yeah. nine years old. Oh, no. Oh, my God, no. No, I'm... T- <laughs> I'm 22 years old. No, I I saw Steph. It was the first time I had been back to school after we graduated, and I saw her, and I was like, Steph, I had this horrible incident. And she's like, oh, no, what happened? And I explained Hoppy, and it was it was a moment. It was really something. Well, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't mean to make light of your experience. No, it's okay. But luckily, I, I can connect with Old Yeller. I really understand it, and I'm proud of that kid for, for killing his pup. Yeah, good on him. Old Yeller number good 10, on him. then. Yeah, that's uh that's number ten. Number nine Ooh, woof. is yeah, woof. Oh. <laughs> number nine is is an all time classic, the crime dog, McGruff. Ah, Scruff McGruff. Yeah, so McGruff has got a trench coat, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um he's a dog in a trench coat. I would have to Google him again. I'm not sure if he has a fedora on, but if he doesn't, he has those ears, those big floppy hound ears. The sort of function is his fedora. He wears an actual hat. He does, right? Absolutely, he does. And but he does have long ears as well. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a handsome dog. He was apparently part of like a campaign. Like there, I know he was part of the campaign, but yeah. he was part of a like an open re- uh, request to the public mm-hmm. to start the new campaign. And somebody submitted the crime dog, and it just stuck. So, like, when was that? Do we do you know how long Scruff McGruff has been fighting crime? He has been fighting crime. I think it said he was submitted in seventy nine and first hit the airwaves in eighty, something like that. But it was it's like nineteen eighty, so he's been around quite some almost time, forty years now. Yeah, wow, that's impressive. It's funny because he I don't know if you've seen it, but he was in a Geico commercial recently where like, yes, I think that's what I'm thinking of. He like, it's one of the it's it's that's the format where it's like. If you're this, then this. And it's like, if you're a dog, people talk to you like a baby. And Scruff McGruff is like in an actual police department. He's like, guys, we're gonna, we've got enough clues to solve the crime. And they're like, yes. do you have to go to the bathroom? Do you have to go to the bathroom, Scruff? He's like, guys, come on, I have a clue. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. That was when I saw him on TV recently. Like, think about that. He's culturally significant enough. That that reference is meaningful. Yeah, he needed no introduction. People, oh, it's the crime dog. It yeah, also exactly. bears mentioning that uh, Fred McGriff, uh, Hall of yes. Famer, was known as the crime dog. Which is just so great. That was the note I put next to his name. Was That's my favorite thing about the crime dog, is that Fred McGriff, like, weird Hall of Famer. We don't need to get into that. Yeah. He had a really weird career, because he was never great, but always was pretty good. I don't know. But yes, he was nicknamed the Crime Dog. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, 
Maybe we'll talk about borderline Hall of Fame candidates some other day. We'll sort them. Yeah, so that is number nine. Number eight is a dog that I, we can talk about this because we will be discussing the fictional incarnation of this dog. It's a real dog. He would be much higher on my list if it were just my list. But I'm trying to be fair to the people. Sure. Number eight, one of my all-time favorites, Balto. Mm. So, so Balto, Balto, I think, has mixed parentage. I think he is uh, half domesticated canine, half wolf, I think, is his uh, is his heritage. He's definitely... He's not a full wolf. He definitely has some wolf in him, though. I, but he's not full wolf, right? We can, no. We can... Right. So that's his background. So that's why he's allowed on this list. Uh, a couple, a couple bullets on Balto. One, I forgot this was voiced by Kevin Bacon. Really? Yes, yes. I forgot about that, which makes him a great candidate for uh, the six degrees or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like you got Balto in there, that's great. He's in the mix. <laughs> so apparently, so the the rest of what I'm going to tell you is the bummer part of the story, which I think I shared okay. with you at dinner one time. Okay. So after <laughs> after he won the Iditarod, uh, he or yeah, he became a vaudeville star and was pretty much treated poorly and toured around the country in increasingly grubby circus situations. Okay. So that's a bummer. But the biggest bummer of all is that really his owner was just some asshole who stole the last leg of, uh, of this like race to bring the, was it diphtheria medicine? I think. Oh, thank God. I thought, yeah. Cause I just actually, said the, I did. I, I thought you meant he had stolen an actual leg from the dog. No, he did not steal a, dog, a leg for the dog. Also, I said I did rod. That was just made up. The thing is that he brought the diphtheria medicine. And I don't think it was, there was anything to do with that. I think the race might be based off of that. I don't know. I'm making most of this up. But the fact of the matter is he brought diphtheria medicine to the people of Alaska. But really, it wasn't his trip to make. His owner was supposed to t- take him as the second to last leg, but basically just said F that guy. Yeah. Blew right past the stop, took him in, and got all the glory for himself, and that's why we know who Balto is. I distinctly remember you telling me that story. Probably because of the just sadness dripping from my every word. You were in a, you were in a bad place. This may have been shortly after you had to <laughs> let that bird die. Yeah, it probably was. It probably is all related. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to that angsty teen playlist. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But at any rate, Balto is an all-time classic uh, Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Not a not a really like highly regarded one in the no. pantheon of Disney movies, but a really really good one. I'll can I confess I haven't seen Balto in probably like literally twenty years. Like I saw it as a kid and have never watched it again. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's understandable, but there is some funny uh, polar bears mm. that don't eat the dogs for some reason. Okay. I don't totally get that. Okay. There's, I don't, is it a seagull? I think it's a seagull. There's like a funny bird that's involved. There's a Russian. I think the bird is Russian. It's all very strange. I, one of the polar bears is Russian. Sounds like he's got a, a, a very uh, varied group of talking animal friends, which is good. Yes, in a in kind of a, an enjoyable way. There's a mean wolf. There's a mean dog that doesn't think he belongs because he's a wolf. Mm. There's a pretty red girl dog. There's a lot to this story. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's Balto for us. Fantastic. So we're gonna roll into number seven. So number seven, I originally had slotted in a different dog. Uh, I'll tell you the original dog was Cujo. But I decided to pull Cujo because I think we should put the real, what I would consider the inspiration for Cujo, the mother of all monster dogs, the hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> I, I knew this hound would appear on this list somewhere. Yeah, so the hound of the Baskervilles had to appear Obviously. And the, I thought Cujo was a good replacement because they're really basically the same idea of dog, which is like demon hell dog that screws with everything. Yeah. So the story of the Hound of the Baskervilles, for those of you who are not familiar with the story, is there's this family that lives in the English countryside and there seems to be a curse on the family. And there ha- are these giant footprints that are near the scene where the patriarch of this family died. 
there's this suspicion that there's this giant dog haunting everybody. Long story short, there's some mischief going on involving, I won't spoil it, but I, I will spoil the fact that it's not a monster dog. I'll say it the game out, is afoot. The game is afoot. It is not actually a monster dog. It is a bloodhound mastiff mix that has been covered with phosphorus <laughs> to make it glow and look like a hell dog on the British moors. Terrifying terrifying it's a wonderful it's a wonderful story one of the best sherlock holmes stories i also was tempted to do the dog in the night time but i decided to skip that uh we only needed one uh sherlock holmes reference for this story that was also that but one's yes. also a little more obscure <laughs> that one's a little bit more obscure but the hound of the baskervilles is an all-time classic and as i said a big inspiration for a lot of very low budget movies to follow certainly and a very very well done adaptation in yes. Sherlock on the BBC that's a really I'm fantastic I'm glad adaptation. you mentioned that I think that's my favorite of the Sherlock episodes is the Hounds of Baskerville where it's reimagined as like a government testing facility it's so cool it's so great that scene where uh Watson is all spaced out and is like going around the government facility is just oh, oh it's so good that is balls yeah yeah, that's a really great one. For the listeners who are not as versed in their Sherlock, that's a very worthwhile uh, episode to watch. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's through number seven. Number six is another, a little bit like uh, like Old Yeller, one of sort of the foundational dogs that we think about when we, uh, we think about the modern fictional dog. Yep. Number six is Buck, is the name. I didn't know the name originally, but it's the dog from The Call of the Wild. Mm-hmm. So I read this quite some time ago and remember almost nothing of the plot and intentionally didn't look up the plot because I didn't want to pretend that I remembered what happened. But The Call of the Wild is one of the more famous like boys adventure books yeah. of the early 1900s. Uh was a big inspiration for a lot of books that take on the perspective of an animal because at least to my to my knowledge so I take that for what it's worth. I don't think there were a whole lot of books at that time that were taking on the actual perspective of an animal. That was pretty uncommon. I would struggle to think of one. I've not actually read Call of the Wild, but it, I know. Really? Yeah, I know it's it's on my list. Um, I know <laughs> that it was a big inspiration for. Did you read? Oh, what the hell is it called? Into the or uh, Into the Wild. The one about the guy who gives it all up, Christopher Chris yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he references Call of the Wild like a thousand times in yeah. that book. Uh, this is a very famous book. So what so the explain it to me I guess. So like it's told from the perspective of this dog buck. Yeah, it's like it's not like his I don't think it's his narration, but it's yeah. all about that dog and there's it the human piece of it is sort of peripheral. It's about the life of this dog mm. in a way that's, it's kind of unique. There's a lot of people who are interacting with animals in literature kind of up to that point, but you don't really get as much of like the actual animal other than your classic fairy tale animals as humans type setup. Yeah. This was, this was just like about an animal. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a, you know, with some personification involved and it's like a slightly anthropomorphized animal, but it's not really, it's just kind of an animal and we're just like, we're following it. So it's kind of interesting because it's following up on a time period where people started to think about animals a lot more in that way. My one fact about Jack London, because I remember this from an English class, is that he lived among the homeless in the East End of London for a while and wrote about it. And I just can't imagine anything that sounds worse than being in turn of the century London among the poor folk in the East End. And to do it voluntarily just seems like a poor decision. Yeah, it sounds shitty. Yeah, I think it was intended to be some, like, investigative journalism. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like Jack London really... If he knew then that nobody would know that, but everybody would remember Call of the Wild... Yeah. I think he probably would have devoted more of his creative energies to the Call of the Wild stuff and just skipped out on that, like, (laughs) being in the gin joints of shitty london town it kind of reminds me of on our last pod we talked about how uh stieg larsen was trying to call attention to the yes. swedish welfare system <laughs> but 
It's a yeah, little, it's in the a same way, this was because like he didn't subject yeah. himself to the Swedish welfare system. <laughs> but yeah, totally. Well, this is a, this is a situation where you have a really great artist, yeah, who's who's dealing in a genre that's not really like fancy and snooty and doing it really well, and then decides to get fancy and snooty. And he did cause a stir in his day, and people were kind of interested. But history has borne out that nobody really gave a shit, and. Call of the Wild remains a really popular book that even kids today read. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very popular. I just somehow never read it like a fool. Yeah. Interesting. Did you read the Gary Paulson books like Hatchet and all those? Hatchet is yeah among the most influential books I've ever read. Yeah, my dad gave me that book and I just like I devoured it and I've read all of the sequels. They're they're really and I I re I probably reread Hatchet every year or so because you can read it in like a mm-hmm. day. It's so yeah. cool. If you've never read Hatchet, please go do it. It's uh it's really a special book, but Totally. And it's one and I think that's part of why I feel like the dog from Call of the Wild should appear so high on this list. Is that there that's a pretty big influence on books like Hatchet. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Big time. Uh so that takes us through number six, so I'm gonna recap real quick. Um at number ten, oh, old yeller. On. Yeah, what? Oh, we didn't do uh not tops. Yeah, did you make one? No. Yeah, no, I totally didn't. You uh, got any? I have a long list here, but they're all good boys. I can't really think of a a bad one. I, I guess the one I would say is a not top only based on perception is uh I can't Oh, please say what I hope you're about to say. Uh, I don't know the uh, the beast from the Sandlot, where all all the kids believe him to be a a monstrous devil of a of a dog, and it turns out he's just the friendliest old dog you ever saw. And I can't is his name Magnus or it's something awesome Zeus. It's yeah, it might be Zeus, but I think it's Hercules. That sounds right. I think it's Hercules, but yeah, but it's a legit, but it's a real dog that's like yeah. 300 pounds oh it's huge and i think they call it the beast like oh if your yeah. ball goes in there it's the beast ball now yeah that's yeah, like, but he turns out to he you're right but he turns out to be nice after oh all. he's just a big old baby and slobbers all over him but yeah. i i remember as a kid watching sandlot being so terrified of yeah. the, that dog and ironically you should have been afraid of james earl jones he's darth vader yeah exactly so I got one for you. One that I just thought of, uh, the Grim. Ooh. I think, yeah. You know, it's <laughs> the Grim. It's really important that nobody forget Exposition Mick Exposition <laughs> the guy who makes one appearance in Prisoner of Azkaban and is there to explain everything. Token and then Black never. Guy. Yeah, token black dude McExposition, who's there and then never shows up ever again. And he's gives my fa- one of my favorite lines from all of Harry Potter. <laughs> when talking, <laughs> when talking about Sirius <laughs> Black, it's just, it's like the best thing in the whole movies. It's like trying to catch smoke. It's like trying to catch smoke with bare hands. <laughs> and it's just, it's so unnecessary. And, then, and makes no sense. And someone is like, who are you? Yeah, it's like, he doesn't even go here. <laughs> like, they should have inserted the he doesn't even go here audio. It goes to Durmstrang. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just so dumb. Um, I have a lot but of it's feelings. Great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, so that's that guy. And he's he's not a big fan of the Grim. Very concerned about the Grim. Doesn't turn out to be that much of an issue. Yeah, I'm sure there are a number, like... There are a lot of nameless, faceless, junkyard dogs that could fill this role yeah, nicely. That's true. Yeah, I can't I can't think of any off the top of my head, but one other one that I want to mention is Arnold, the uh Rottweiler that the gang from Entourage owns. Mm. Just cause in retrospect, I'm never gonna go back and erase my time as an Entourage fan, because it was good for a time. But I just kind of feel like a little bit of a douche, mm-hmm. the fact that I liked it. Uh, and so Arnold contributed marginally to that. So for that, Arnold, you're on the not top three. Fantastic. That's fine for yeah. not top three. With the understanding that the beast is only in this not top three because he's yeah. perceived to be a bad dog. In reality, he probably has a 
he's probably closer to the top ten than the bottom three if we're talking. And about- even that, like these dogs don't have to be good dogs yeah, per se. We're true. just kind of we're just kind of scrambling for a not in top. terms of greatness. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all right. So let me recap real quick. Number ten, Old Yeller. Number nine, the Crime Dog McGruff. Number eight, Balto. Number seven, the Hound of the Baskervilles. And number six, Buck, which doesn't matter, from the Call of the Wild. All right. All right, number five. I'm going to cheat a little bit and give this one to multiple dogs. In fact, I'm going to give this one to a very specific number of dogs. I'm going to throw this one to 101 dogs. (laughs) This one goes to the Dalmatians. Yeah, led by the famous Pongo and Perdita. Yes, precisely. Who are not included amongst the 101, correct? I don't believe they are. I think that they have 101 separate puppies. Yeah, so is the idea that they have 101 puppies in one litter? Yeah. Jesus. They like... That is horrifying. Can you imagine? No. No, it's like literally inconceivable. Because you'd have to... Inconceivable! Let's say... (laughs) I don't think that means what you think it means. Even if you... (laughs) Even if every single one of them was a a primo, and they were really little... 101 yes. really little dogs is a lot of dog. And you ever see a you ever see a uh, a fetal mouse? <laughs> no, no. Really? Not oh, lately. see, I've seen that. I had a mouse laid. No, not didn't lay eggs, but made a nest and then birthed mice in our grill one time, and then on our lawnmower another time. <gasps> weird spots. That's I know, horrible spots. places to get birth. You stupid yeah. mice. <laughs> Well, we didn't see the birth, but we saw the nest with the babies in it. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I've seen what like a a really microscopic fetal mouse looks like. A hundred of one of those things would be a bitch to carry around, <laughs> yeah. especially as a dog. Biology aside, they are a bunch of cute little doggies, and very. I always love the little ditty when in the Disney adaptation, the animated one. When they're all mm-hmm. watching TV and the um yes the advertisement for Canine Crunchies comes on, you can be a champion too if you eat Canine Crunchies, and then the TV turns off and they're like, no, all hundred one, yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Absolutely, I have a special place in my heart for this movie because my uncle Derek had a Dalmatian mm. named oh. Maverick. Yes, named Maverick. That's fantastic. Maverick was not a particularly well-behaved dog, and he was quite large and a little tough to deal with, but I loved him. He was the first dog I really knew, probably the only dog I've ever really had a considerable relationship with, and he was in Dalma- He was in fact a Dalmatian. Dalmatians are wondrous dogs to behold. Yeah, There's certainly absolutely. no doubt about that. Their association with firefighting and firehouses specifically, I think, is yes one of the... I don't know how that came about, but it's one of the greatest associations I know. I forgot about that. You're so right. There's nothing better than seeing a Dalmatian on a fire truck. Yeah. It's wearing like, a hat. Oh my you ever God. see it like wearing a, a fireman's cap? Not as often as I should. Yeah. Yeah, this is an all-time... This is an all-time great... Disney movie. Yeah. And the animated and the live action. Both like, fantastic. This is, Glenn Close is a very famous and well-regarded actress, and this was the only thing I knew her from for quite some time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, for me, when, when I think, like, when someone says Glenn Close, this is probably, like, one or two and things I think of with her in it. Yeah, funny. like, I know she was in Fatal Attraction, but I haven't seen it. Like, I'm aware yeah. of that movie. And then there was that one, there was a TV show, that FX show she was on for quite some time that people liked. I'm not sure. She, I feel like she was a fixer or something. I don't know. But yeah, a distinguished career, uh, and the Dalmatians have such influence that that's all I think of. I I don't know if I'm making this up, but I heard rumors swirl about the uh, a live-action remake was in production. Or at least being bantied about, and the the name getting tossed out there for Cruella Deville was Emma Stone, which I think would be awesome. Oh, she'd be perfect. She'd be so good. You know who else would actually be good? I would enjoy Kristen Wiig in that role. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think she is waiting for a really good villainous breakout. I know she played she voiced the villain in Despicable Me three after doing the 
friend in Despicable Me earlier. She did two different voices. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so she played... I'm trying to remember what the characters were, but did she play like the social worker or something? Somebody that they liked in one movie and then she played... She's the romantic interest in Despicable Me 2. Okay, so she... Let me... I'm going to confirm what roles she did, but I'm pretty sure she did two and one of them was villainous. Interesting. So I think she would be interesting, but yeah, I think that Emma Stone would be amazing. I hope that I'm not making that up because that's something I'd like to see. Oh, God, yeah. Wait, I now hold up. Give me a second. I want to look this up now about Kristen Wiig. So I did a little Googling and Kristen Wiig appears as the love interest. I think, as you may have mentioned, in Despicable Me's two and three, but she plays the woman who runs the orphanage in Despicable Me one. I think bolstering her credentials as a, as a potential villain. Also, that scene where she blows her top at her friend Annie, or she's Annie, the friend, yeah, the friends uh, at the shower. <laughs> I think I think bodes well for her uh, her role in my remake of the Dalmatians. Yeah. So if the whole Emma Stone thing doesn't pan out, yeah, if they let me make the movie, Kristen Wiig is my lady. Fantastic. What's number speaking four? of speaking of ladies, uh, that was an unintentional segue. Number four is another combo. This one goes to Lady and the Tramp. Ah, interesting. I thought you might go for a different lady. No, not that lady. They don't she count. she is not she's not allowed. Yeah, Lady slash Tramp. Also, she would certainly not be my choice if I were picking Dire Wolves. Yeah, amen. We could do a top ten Dire Wolves, and she wouldn't even make it. Wow, that's pretty aggressive <laughs> considering there were only six <laughs> i would do i would do the various flags on which the sigil of house stark appears ahead of lady it's not lady's fault that she gets domed in the first book if we're talking about impact on my feelings she'd be high because the fact that nate has to kill her ass was incredible but Whatever. Lady is not on this list. Lady of Lady and the Tramp is, however, on this list. So basically my rationale for this ranking comes down to five seconds of one scene. It's the spaghetti kiss is one of the most famous scenes in movie. I would say legitimately in movie history. Yeah, it's iconic. And that belongs to those dogs. I have seen this movie maybe once, and I remember thinking it was pretty good. But the whole time I was just waiting for that scene. I actually like that movie a lot. There's a lot going on. There's that cool scene with the beaver, and he uses his muzzle to help him build a dam, and then the muzzle gets pulled off him. There are those pesky Siamese cats that go around and say, I remember that. We are Siamese. It's like, yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like many old Disney cartoons, vaguely and kind of not so vaguely racist. Like, overtly so. Yeah. Uh, but I love it. It's a classic tale of, um, you know, guy coming from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, falls in love with a lady of of high society. And, uh, at the end of the day, we find out that love conquers all, even the firmly entrenched gender and, uh, class roles that society forces upon us. Absolutely, Kyle. That was a beautiful thing. And whenever I think about society and class, I think always to a, a really great film that came out in the 90s. It's called uh, D3, The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and there's this whole thing about ah, yes. one of the... Yes, one of the characters tells the other to go back to his side of the tracks. And intelligently, mm. one of the other guys steps in and says, Listen, so-and-so, there are no trains, therefore no tracks. And to me, that's the society that I want to live in. No trains, no tracks. How we're going to get around in those sort of short distances where there's not a road that is, you know, perfectly suited for the trip. I don't know. We'll get to that later. But I like to think of a world where there are no tracks to be on the wrong side of. It seems like a weird way to make that point to say, like, there are no trains, because I'm not sure what a train stands in for in this metaphor. I think the point is it's a, he's <laughs> taking it very literally. You can be a snobby asshole however much you want, but there's still no trains. Like, there's no tracks to be on the wrong side of, buddy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> who am I to question the writers of D3, The Mighty Ducks? I don't think you're anybody to be questioning I, that. I, 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 I stand down, so. Thank you. Um, all right, so that takes us through number four. 
So I'm going to hit you with some honorable mentions. Yeah. This is such a massive list of honorable mentions that I'm literally going to give no attention to any of them except for the final three because I just thought of them and think they deserve potential inclusion. The rest I'm just going to buzz through. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to start with like the 80s, 90s dogs that were silly. Beethoven. Yep. Airbud. Comet from Full House. Ah. Eddie from Frasier. Hooch of Turner and Hooch. Uh, Demon from Snow Dogs. The Dog from Life is Rough. <laughs> That's rough with two Fs in case yeah. you were wondering. Um, next is Advertisement Dogs. So Spuds McKenzie and the Taco Bell Where's the Chalupa Chihuahua. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Yep. Uh, next is the coming of age in the 50s dogs, Skip, from My Dog Skip, uh. and Shiloh from the Shiloh series. Yep. Next is the dogs that are also based in real life and are really, like, actually heroic and awesome. The dogs from the movie Eight Below. Mm. If you haven't seen the movie Eight Below, check it out. It's a great, great movie. Hound from Fox and the Hound. One of my all-time favorites. I was banned from watching it as a child because I refer to my mom as a blasted female. As you do. As you do. Cujo. Mm-hmm. Petey from Our Gang slash The Little Rascals. Oh, good one. Yep. Sam from I Am Legend. Mm. One of my all-time favorites. I didn't want to include it because I put the dog from Call of the Wild instead, but I don't know. One of my all-time favorite movies, White Fang. Also, the problem is that that's just actually a wolf, so that's a mm-hmm. no-go, because it's like an actual wolf. All right, and then three that I just thought of as we started talking that I think might legitimately be considered. Uh, Brian Griffin. He was on my list. He, yeah, he probably... When you said talking dogs, I was like, oh, God, I forgot Brian. Brian should probably be included. Also, Santa's Little Helper, I just thought of. But shouldn't be on the list, but I just for- remembered Santa's Little Helper. Doug from Up. He was number Should probably number one on my list of talking dogs, and Brian was yeah. number two. <laughs> yeah, Do- Doug and Brian should probably be considered. Um, and then finally, this is a uh, something to be considered. Uh, Padfoot. I don't know how Padfoot falls because he's not an actual dog. He's probably a no go because of that. Yeah, I mean he's a man, but uh, but in his time as a dog is wonderful. He's a good honorable mention. I don't think I think leg- legally speaking, he's probably. Not quite a fit, but yeah, we're probably not on firm ground. But I think of that list: Brian and Siri, or Brian and uh, Doug, are legitimate contenders. Yeah, for sure. All right, I, so I do you want to do any honorables? I'm gonna wait. I've got okay. a, I've got quite a list here, but I'll wait until you're you're done with yours. I suspect I know two of your top three. I suspect you definitely know one. I'm not so sure ab- about the others. You might know the others. Number three, I'm, you're definitely not thinking of. Number three is gonna feel like a hot take at first, but it isn't. Number three is Bruiser Woods from the Legally Blonde films. <laughs> so, so Bruiser, <laughs> I really hope friend of the pod, Mikey Mike, Mike, the first of his name, King of the Andals, Defender and the of Men, the North. Defender of the North. I hope he's listening because he loves Legally Blonde more than is reasonable or expected for a person with his measurables. Like, if if you put him on a piece of paper, nobody's saying Legally Blonde. He loves it. He's the biggest person that likes Legally Blonde. Yes, absolutely. There's no question. <laughs> and if he's not, he has the best bench press of anybody who yeah. likes Legally Blonde. So, Bruiser Woods has got so much going for her. The biggest thing in my research that I, I need to share is that she has her own wiki page. Like, she's a famous enough dog that she has a wiki page. Sure. She's one of the real highlights of Legally Blonde, but one of the real, real highlights of Legally Blonde, too, when we find out that she's actually gay, mm. was an interesting discovery for Bruiser Woods. She also, in my, my brief research, died in 2016 oh, and no. was given... Yes, but it's okay. She lived a, a nice full life. I, the Legally Bond film came out in like 2001. So. And was given quite a post to send her off into the great doghouse in the sky by Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Yeah. I saw Legally Blonde once as a, as a youth and mm-hmm. don't remember a, a whole lot about it, but I think Bruiser gets a lot of points for 
being representative of this style of dog. Basically, the hand- The Paris the, Hilton kind of dog. The handbag dog. Yeah. But gets extra points for being a handbag dog whose name is Bruiser. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I thought the name was Breezer mm. for a very long time because Bruiser is such a comically mismatched name that I thought it was something funky that I didn't understand. Yeah, I quite Bruiser, en- I quite it- enjoy the uh the irony there of of Bruiser. Yeah. He is a chihuahua, is he not? Absolutely. Yeah. Um I and I think for the ladies listening to this podcast, I have a strong feeling this will resonate. I know that my sisters if they're listening will want Bruiser as high as possible. And my sister Nicole, I also know, I have to just point out for the crowd, definitely wants JLo has a dog in some movie where the dog uh its back legs don't work and it has a chariot and she loves watching videos of dogs walking with chariots she thinks it's beautiful and inspirational <laughs> all right but there will be no such dogs on this list sorry nicole bummer bummer all right that brings us to number 2 number 2 number 2 one of the most famous dogs of all time probably the most famous dog of all time number 2 lassie yep okay so I don't really give a shit about Lassie. I'm not, like, particularly interested. My Lassie bullet point that I put down here is that there have been 11 Lassies. Wow. Which is interesting and parodied very humorously on King of Queens when Doug finds out that his dog Rocky is actually, like, Rocky (laughs) 5 and Rocky 3 was a girl. (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of funny which he didn't realize um but my other thing that i really love about lassie is the like this sort of structure of hey boy what is it what is it boy oh mike fell in and, the well yes and of course the incredibly amazing parody of that on seinfeld when kramer realizes he has the same cough as a dog where they do a very funny voiceover of a human coughing instead of a dog. He takes dog medicine and then starts behaving like a dog. And he sees some police officers who treat him as though he's Lassie. It's wonderful. <laughs> I really need to watch that whole show. Yeah. I think it's on Hulu. I know. that's You and I have talked about this we before. We do not like, promote there's Hulu. Times when I, there's times when I describe an episode and you're like, that just can't possibly be true. Like, you've just made that up. Also, like, it, I just think, like, that can't, that just shouldn't be something that I can't chime in on. I need to, I need to rectify this. True. Cause that, there will absolutely be, yeah, some Seinfeld stuff. Probably with my dad, I would imagine. He's been pressing for a permanent co-host role. Yeah. And well, my guy was, was on, yeah. I don't want to make you sweat, but our feedback on the cookie pod, this may very soon just become Jerry's pod and we may get booted. Yeah. <laughs> People really like Jerry. I I got a message at work. Jerry is a treasure. Yeah. There's there's been a lot of very positive response. I also got some people saying, "Ah, I understand you now." Right. Which is, <laughs> this is interesting Thank feedback. You? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. So let's get let's get number 1 out of the way. I'm sure we all know who this is. Yeah, so I'm just going to give you why he's number one. So number one is, of course, the unquestioned and untouchable number one, the greatest dog, fictional dog of all time, the Scoobert Do. Generally, people know him as a Scooby, but his full name is Scoobert. Of course. So here's why, okay? Scooby has solved crime with this list of people. This is just a brief list that I put together from memory. There are many more. Batman and Robin. Yeah. Like, the Adam West Batman and Robin. He has solved crimes with Batman and Robin. It's true. The Three Stooges. Yep. The Harlem Globetrotters. And and multiple occasions. On multiple occasions. Phyllis Diller. Yep. Don Knotts. Which is hilarious. Which is amazing. Like, just insane. Sonny and Cher. Sonny and friggin' Cher. Solving mysteries with Sonny and Cher. That's a fictional dog. He is the greatest dog of all time. Yeah, I, I, you won't you won't hear me debate you. Is because like some of these dogs, like Lassie and Old Yeller, have a certain prestige to them, but no dog is more universally beloved and relevant in popular culture. Yeah. I'll, I will cite the fact that you can go to the store and purchase Scooby snacks. They're like cinnamon kind of graham cracker type deals. And they're and really good. Like, 
considered for the cookie pod. My dad yeah, mentioned them. Exactly. He love I love them so much. He but loves like, them. They're amazing. And there's like you like some you know, there's the uh Scooby Doo fruit snacks. Like Oh, those were big at my house. So too. many TV shows, so many books. I have a lot of Scooby Doo books lying around my Me house. Me too. I've got like the sunken treasure. The Yeti one. The- yes. I've got a bunch of those. The one where with Zombie Island. There's just like there's so much Scooby Doo. That's content. a great. That's one of the great movies. I love the Zombie it's, Island. It's one. really good. The the Cajun theme is amazing. I appreciate it more more so now as after watching True Detective. But I was just oh I was just gonna say yeah. that's True Detective. You oh, know, cock. <laughs> oh. Okay. All right, this needs to happen. We have to do... We, you and I have sort of been circling this for a long time. Like, I think it's time we finally just start writing fanfic. And <laughs> just, I, just go all the way. <laughs> just go all in. I think our first fanfic should be, like, Truby doo <laughs> And we have, like, a True Detective Scooby-Doo mashup. Like sawing Scoop, those dudes are totally dead. <laughs> time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of the house, man! I know you've been cheating with that girl from the court! <laughs> okay. You're out, Scoob! <laughs> Alright, as soon as we're done with this bot, let's get working on that. Yeah, let's get writing. <laughs> um, yeah, Scooby-Doo is the best fictional dog of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I have a very lengthy list of honorable mentions. Yeah, hit me up. Doug and Brian, you already mentioned... This one yep. kind of straddles the line of legal or not. Frank from the mm-hmm. Men in Black series, because he's technically an alien, though he looks mm, like a pug. Interesting. He does look like a lot like a pug. Yep. Duke from Bush's Baked Beans. <laughs> oh my god. I love Duke. I know. Bolt from the movie Bolt. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I'm familiar. I didn't see it, though. Yeah, he is a dog that plays a super-powered dog on TV, and the effects mm-hmm. are so good that he believes he's actually super-powered, which is Is hilarious. it Tim Allen? Sorry? Is he played by Tim Allen? I don't think so. I think you're thinking of the Shaggy Dog, starring yeah. Tim Allen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Another one that only me and Connor from work know who we're talking about is Oi from The Dark Tower, Oi oh, wow. definitely doesn't count because he's, in fact, not a dog at all. He is a Billy Bumbler, but functions largely like a dog and can speak in short, clipped words and is one of the best animal companions that I know of. Gromit of Wallace and Gromit fame. Oh, I love Gromit. I'm a little serious about Gromit. I, no, I think Gromit should be seriously considered. Yeah. Courage, the cowardly dog. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Chief from uh, Isle of Dogs, per, uh, voiced oh. voiced perfectly by Brian Cranston. He was so, but see, the tough thing to me about that is uh, Chief was amazing. The standout to me was the Jeff Goldblum dog. <laughs> did you hear? <laughs> did you hear? He just keeps saying, "Did you hear?" I think if I had to pick one of those dogs to be my dog, though, I would have picked Chief. Yes, agreed. Okay. I'm, I won't actually stump too hard for him because he's just so recently been on the scene. But like, if we, if this is my personal list, Chief would be very high. Yeah. Charlie from All Dogs Go to Heaven, which in retrospect is a really, really weird movie, especially for kids. Yeah. I forgot about that existed. Yeah. From the world of video games, I'm sure, I don't think you've ever played it, but Fallout, the most recent Fallout game. You wander a apocalyptic version of Boston with your trusty German Shepherd by your side. The dog's named by you, and so will change for everybody who interacts with this dog. But I've watched Cameron play a lot of this game, and there's something really cool about having a faithful canine companion by your side as you traverse this desolate wasteland. I imagine Cameron probably names his dog something like Butthole. <laughs> you... you. <laughs> It is a treat to watch Cameron play Fallout. His, his, his avatar has this ridiculous mustache that goes of off the side of his face and like, this crazy helmet and like these weird, like zany eyebrows. It, yeah. So, but I, I don't know. I'm like half, I'm, I'm halfway serious about the Fallout dog because it's very personal to everyone that plays the game. That's a really interesting sort of twist on it. Yeah. And, it's like this nameless dog that could be any dog you want it to be. 
So mm-hmm. there's that one. Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, I totally forgot Clifford. He should probably be. I'm pretty serious about that one. Marley of Marley and Me. Oh. Fang of Harry Potter. But does fame. wait, does Marley and Me suffer from Is Marley and Me a real dog? It is, right? It's probably based off of a tr- yeah. Cuz cuz yeah. that's cuz the movie is it's like a very meta situation, right? Like yeah. I think that the Owen Wilson character is the real journalist who wrote Marley and Me and then was in the script, was in the movie. That sounds right. Yeah, you're right. So, so we're we're border, but, but I don't know, that would mean I have to get rid of Balto, so we'll talk about it. Yeah. Fang from Harry Potter, even though he's a big coward. And yeah. <laughs> Buster from Toy Story. Oh, there, I thought about Buster. There's nothing I do want Buster. There's nothing better than in Toy Story 3 when uh, Woody whistles for him and he just kind of saunters in because he's old and fat. Yeah. A few more. Spot, the target dog. Yep. Goddard, Jimmy Neutron's robotic dog. Ooh. Bark, bark. Yep. Champion, uh, Andy's three-legged dog in Parks and Rec. What the hell was I thinking? Th- there's, this is the problem. There's so many there's, of them. There's just too damn many. Champion. You're the champion <laughs> of death. <laughs> When there, when Ron pick, I think Ron is the one who ends up carrying him across the ice. Get on your feet. That yeah, I think oh you're right. <laughs> I think it's Ron who ends up having to carry him. That's also when April. That I think it's the same episode. April tells Andy that Champion is a better kisser than him, <laughs> and he's like, "No," and then kisses Champion. He's a delight. I'm a big fan of Champion. Oh. Last two, Sandy from Annie. Oh, I forgot about that. Mostly just because Cameron played Sandy in an elementary school production of Annie and pissed a lot of people off because whenever he was on stage, he would just act like a dog by like licking his crotch and like just like <laughs> like rubbing up on things and basically stealing the show. <laughs> For the listeners, that is exactly how the teachers should have expected that to go. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. So that was... That was Cameron in, like, seventh grade. And the last one I have, my dad is obsessed with this movie. Is it a Denzel Washington vehicle? It is not a Denzel Washington vehicle. It's a it's a bit of a, not indie, but it's a lesser-known foreign film called Hachi. It's about mm-hmm. this doctor. He lives in Japanese suburbs and commutes into Tokyo every day. I believe it's Tokyo. And he takes the train and... When he, I've heard about this. So he goes to the town square, gets on the train. His dog waits there for him. Uh, and then when he comes home, he gets off the train and they walk home together. This happens every day for however many years until one day at work, the doctor has a heart attack and dies and the dog just waits. The train comes, his, his guy doesn't come and this dog Hachi waits there. And yeah. the, the story basically picks up there and it's about how he basically spends the rest of his life waiting for his master to come back. And it's heartbreaking and just inspiring and really is one of the best stories that relate how important a dog can be in a person's life and vice versa. It's a really beautiful film and it's... uh I think maybe it doesn't count because I think Hachi was a real dog. This definitely doesn't count. Hachi was a real dog. But there's a statue to this day in that square commemorating this beautiful, wonderful dog. So I wow. wanted to mention that. That concludes my list of honorable mentions. Oh, no, I take that back. I want to shout out to three or two, two, three of some of the most important ladies in my life. Number one is Holly, our family's dog. Kyle, not a fictional dog. Not even close. Just wanted to shout her out. She is my she is my girl. And our other dog, Harper, who whose personalities very closely mirror mine mine and Cameron's, which is very funny. And then our uh, our our cousin dog, my Aunt Edith's little dog muffin, who deserves a shout out. Who we particularly love because she's a Maltese, so we get, you know, oh, that's perfect. There's that you. connection. So in summary, I would stump hard for Doug and Brian, like you said. Probably Clifford, Gromit, and I, I'm I'm like most of the way serious about the Fallout dog. Okay. So, so Doug, Clifford, Brian, and Fallout dog, and Gromit, and Gromit. All right. What do you see as vulnerable on the list? <sighs> That's tough. I think Balto is vulnerable only because of the technicality surrounding his inclusion. Yeah. 
I'm fine with that. I, as long as Balto got his time in the sun, if he can open up a spot for somebody, that's okay with me. Okay. I think... I think one of Old Yeller or Lassie, because I think they kind of serve kind of the same. Not really, though, because Old Yeller, like you said, is so representative of like that coming of age struggle, and we couldn't possibly take Lassie off this list, so never mind. I think maybe he's a very important dog, but like we don't even really know his name unless you look it up buck well i think i think if we need like old timey dog old yeller can stand in for us yeah i think so i as much as the story is amazing i think there's not enough personality to the hound itself in the hound of the baskervilles you're probably you're probably right about that yeah the dalmatians must stay i think lady and the tramp must stay i think bruiser deserves a spot probably but maybe moves down a little bit I don't know. Those are all the only three I can really think of that I would want to pull. I think Gromit, though I love him to death, is probably not well known enough to make it. The Fallout Dog, same thing. Yeah. In which case, we would be left with Clifford and Doug and Brian, and that that three to three trade off makes me think like that's probably the way to go. Yeah, I think so. Oh, wait, I forgot one dog I wanted to mention. Anwar Sadat from I Love You Man. So named because he looks just like former Egyptian president Anwar <laughs> Sadat. Good reason to name a dog that way. Yes, yeah, sorry. I wanted to make sure I shouted that. I was just looking at my list. Absolutely. So let's get to work. Yeah. I think that Scooby-Doo and Lassie should be one, too. Yep, agreed. I think I kind of like Old Yeller and Scruff McGruff where they are. Yeah, I agree. I would personally move Bruiser and I would move Bruiser down a little bit. I think Yep. I think Clifford belongs probably in that spot. I think Clifford belongs as high as like four, 3 4 5 that range. How do you feel about that? I think of the three dogs we're adding, he's definitely the most iconic. Yeah. I would probably feel I actually think uh, upon review that the Dalmatians might be number 3. Okay, so let's put Let's put the Dalmatians at three. Yep. How about Lady... Uh, let's... I don't know. Let's put a little room between the the Disney dogs. What do you think about Clifford at four? Yeah, I think Clifford four is a comfortable spot. Okay. Then Lady and the Tramp. Yep. Do you think Bruiser is above or below Doug and or Brian? I'd probably go Doug, Bruiser, Brian. I completely agree. You are my master. <laughs> Did we screw our math up here? Oh, no, I didn't. Okay, we're good. No. So we have Doug, Bruiser, Brian, Scruff, McGruff, and then Old Yeller. It's starting to feel like we might have a list. I think that what we have done here is constructed a list of the top ten fictional dogs that we know of. And I'm sure we, despite the ridiculous number of dogs we just listed, I'm sure we've missed some, but... Oh, absolutely. We're going to get some serious shit from most likely our friend Quinn... Yeah, and oh. probably others. Oh, certainly. So. But there, there are so many dogs that I, I feel very comfortable with the effort we've put into this thing. I think we've done our due diligence at the very least. Yes. Why don't it's it's your list, Mike? Why don't you rattle off the uh, top ten dogs? All right, number ten, cat dog. Number nine, hey, cat piss dog. Off. Number eight, cat. Okay, sorry. Uh, number ten, old Yeller. Number nine, McGruff. Number eight, Brian. Griffin, I guess is his last name. Yeah. A family guy. Number seven, Bruiser Woods. Number six, point! Doug. <laughs> Number five, <laughs> the Spaghetti Twins. I guess they're not twins because they're romantic interests. Lady and the Tramp. Number four, Clifford. The, the Big, Big Red, Red dog. dog. The Big Red Dog, if you're forgetting which one Clifford is. Yeah. Number three, all 101, and I suppose if we're including sequels, 102. And Pongo and Perdita. Yes, and Pongo and Perdita. Uh, number two, Lassie. And number one, the champ, the unquestioned greatest fictional dog of all time, our good friend, Scoobert Do. Undefeated and untied. All right. Untied. <clears throat> well, that was a good deal of fun, I, th- I say. Yes, I say that was enjoyable. That was exactly how my Thursday night needed to go. Amen, brother. All right. Well, uh... 
Good job, buddy. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon then. All right, catch you on the flippity flip. Peace! Alrighty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week, but now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at Top10KM. That's all spelled out, Top10KM. Our email, Top10KM, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Or our site, Top10KM.podbean.com. All forms of communication accepted, except for serial killer notes. Please don't send us any of those. If you like the pod, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never have to miss an episode of Top 10 ever again. If you didn't like it, please tell us why. We'll try to make the show better. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod, and our artwork was created by Erin Sant. You can check out her stuff at Sant Design on Instagram. Alrighty, goons. We'll see you next week.